You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. All right. So, you know, we're, we, we told everybody that we wanted to answer as many questions as we possibly could. And I got to be honest, you guys gave some incredible, incredible questions. You turned some in. Um, and the truth of the matter is we can't answer them all right now. We really, really can't. Um, this is an ongoing conversation, and it's got to be ongoing. Um, there's just so much good stuff that you guys have. And so um, what I'm going to say is if, if uh, one of the questions we received is how are we going to be a church that really practices unity in Jesus Christ and not uniformity, it starts here. Let this be the beginning, okay? Uh, join a small group. Small groups, I, I can't begin to tell you how great they are for great discussion, um, for great questions, uh, to disagree with one another. I know there are small groups here that have gone through the ringer in terms of disagreement and come out stronger on the other side. Uh, don't be afraid to invite community members over to your house. Jonathan Judge has been inviting people over for debates, and I called him out even though it's an invite only. Um, but it's amazing because he's allowing people to get together to talk, to discuss, to have conversations. I love that, right? Uh, so do that. Let this be the beginning. The church, when it first started, was, was a place where everybody got together, everybody ate, everybody talked, prayed for one another, and guess what? Everybody got to disagree, and that was okay. I don't know where along the lines people were like, oh, you all have to believe the same thing or leave. Like, I don't know where that happened. So it's with that spirit that we are going to start this conversation. Are we ready? Come on, people. I know it's raining outside. Um, all right, let's go. There's one practical thing that you didn't say at first service, which is we got so many questions, we just basically put them into buckets oh, yeah. and categories. So if you don't see your particular question, it's probably because you know we got like six or seven questions on that. So we've just put them into categories and going to work our way through it. Yeah, yeah. This was the number one question that we got, though. The biggest question we got from everybody here uh, was this. Is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the only way? How do we tear down walls and not be universalist? Um, and here's how we're going to answer. I don't know if Jesus is the only way. I don't. Uh, I'm just not sure. Uh, uh, I know that my God is more gracious and loving than I can imagine. I know that. But I've not been on the other side of meeting God either. So I'm not sure. Uh, the longer answer looks something like this. Uh, John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I did a message on that last year. And in that message, I said, if we are to take that as our, as our reasoning for Jesus being the only way, then we have taken it horribly out of context. I mean, completely and utterly out of context because Jesus is trying to get his disciples to go to Jerusalem and they have no idea why they're going to Jerusalem. And Jesus goes, hey, just come with me. I'm the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father but through me. Like, totally not one of them going, hey, by the way, uh, do Muslims and other people go to hell? Like, it's just not the, it's not the time or the place for that. So, so um, I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that I am not a universalist. I am not a universalist. And the reason I'm not a universalist, the, way, the reason that I believe in Jesus Christ, the reason I believe in Christianity and I'm not something else, is because we are the only religion that believes in a God who loves us so much that this God says, I am going to suffer with you. I'm going to come down as human and I'm going to do the same things all of you humans do. I am going to walk in pain. I'm going to stub my toe. I'm going to have awkward experiences. I'm going to love you so much that I'm actually going to, to do the worst thing that you fear, which is death. I'm going to die. And I'm going to walk with you through resurrection. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm not a universalist. Um, I know you guys have other thoughts on this, so I'll let you go ahead. So, yeah, for me, I think at the, the heart of, of this is 
this idea of the resurrection, this idea that Christ died for our sins and, and rose again. And, you know, maybe you can get around all other parts of Christianity, but that one thing is just so weird and out there that you have a really hard time taking that. And maybe you were told your whole life that that's what you have to believe in order to be a Christian. And so I get that that's, that's the tricky thing in this. And for me, I guess... I, you know, historically and all that, I don't know what to think about all that stuff. I don't know. That is, it's huge. But what I do know is that I believe in the resurrection and I believe in redemption because I see it in my own life. It's not something that I necessarily believe is just this one moment in time thing that happened, you know, thousands of years ago on, in Calvary, whatever. But it's this thing that continually happens over and over again whenever, um, goodness happens in my life, when things come together, when I trust God and um, when I look around and I see things flourishing and full and I feel the love from other people. Like that to me, that is when I experience the resurrection. It's not this one moment in time, but this continual thing constantly happening. This We talk a lot about renewal, redemption. We talk a lot about these things that we're always striving for restoration as a church. Um, and that to me is how we live out the resurrection every day in our lives. So let me ask this then, because this is a question you guys asked. Um, ben, did Jesus have to die um, for our sins? Is that something that had to ha- absolutely had to happen? Yes, no, maybe? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think he had to die in the sense of, if you think about, if this question is driving at, did Jesus have to get in between us and God because God was so angry at us that he couldn't bear to look at us? Did Jesus have to die a bloody death, a sacrificial death, that we might actually have a relationship with God? No. We don't believe in, or at least I don't believe in, substitution atonement, uh, which is kind of what that term is. Uh, however, what I do believe in more than anything is incarnation, which means that God came close to us. God walked through humanity with us. And this is where around Christmas we start seeing those weird songs of the word Emmanuel, God with us. That God walks in our humanity, walked in all the same experiences we had, as John said a second ago, stubbed his toe, uh, went all the way through to the thing that we fear the most, which is death, and had to go through the entire experience to affirm our humanity. So really, you would say that Jesus had to die then, in the sense that to affirm that, you know, this is a God who walks with us, suffers with us, is, or we're God's beloved, God in that sense had to die to go all the way through us to death. Yes. Well, and I think it's okay to not know. And I love your perspective, Ben, and what you had to share about that because it's something I've been grappling with in my own faith journey in the last year and a half since Easter last year. And it's, it's okay to be in a place where you have to study deeper and read in deeper into scripture and hear about other people's perspective. It's okay to be in that place. Yeah, it's nice to have somebody on staff. Like when we, like what you're seeing is a staff meeting basically right now. And what's nice about it is Mira will be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've only been on staff for 18 months, and I think what you guys saying are, are saying is full of crap. Here's what I think. Yeah, this is a much more like, polite version yeah, of our staff yeah. meetings. And so, like, <laughs> it really is. To, to say like that Mira especially has like gone through and dug through scripture and really wrestled with a lot of what's going on, we challenge you guys to do the same thing. So, yeah. All right. Um, you know, one question we got a lot, and... And I want to answer it, is why don't we teach repentance and baptism? After Jesus' death, the people asked, what then shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin, every one of you. And this person says that we don't talk very much about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us either. Um, so Acts 2, uh, Pentecost happens, and people say, what do we do? We're filled with the Spirit. And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every single one of you. I believe 100% repentance. 
I think repentance is of the utmost importance. Uh, what is repentance? Um, uh, literally in the Greek, it means a change of mind and a change of heart. That's what it means in the Greek. I absolutely believe that uh, I have repented, that I have shifted um, in changing my mind and changing my heart about who God is over and over. And I would say as a church, what we've done uh, is we've moved the way that repentance looks. A lot of times repentance is all about us. Well, I've believed the wrong thing, and now I believe the right thing. Well, I used to drink, and now I don't. Well, I used to believe this, this about this person, but now I don't. And what I think repentance is, is this continual shift that says, well, I used to not bring peace to the kingdom of God, and now what I'm working to do in everything that I do is bring peace to the kingdom of God, peace the way that God intends. That's to me what repentance is. Now, baptism, baptism is an outward sign of that choice of repentance. I'm showing everybody, my community, that I choose to walk this journey where God says, I love you so much that you are going to bring uh, the restoration and renewal that I intend. And so I say, I'm going to be baptized so I can show you that I'm part of this journey of bringing restoration and renewal. And I think part of it, uh, this question was, uh, I think behind it, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, somebody was asking, is baptism an essential in order to go to heaven? I think that's what I'm hearing. Um, and to that I say, absolutely not. No, I don't believe that there's a God who's so small that God would say, I love you, I've created you, but if you don't do this one thing, I'm gonna send you to a fiery torment. I don't believe that at all. Uh, and I know that uh, traditionally, a lot of people come running down the aisles to be baptized because that's what is preached. If you're not baptized, if you don't say that prayer, you're gonna go to hell. That, that speaks of a really small God. And we call God the infinite and unimaginable, right? That's really finite. Um, so that's where I would stand on it. So we do preach repentance often, and we do believe in baptism, just not in, I think, um, the way American evangelical Christianity has talked about it. Mira, did you want to? Yeah, I just wanted to echo what you said, Jonathan, about what repentance means to you. And for me, it's just recognizing and acknowledging that um, my actions are hurting myself or it's hurting the people around, around me. And it's um, changing my mind and my heart towards peace and um, bringing peace here on earth, and uh, that's having that desire for a change in my behavior is what repentance is to me. And so while I don't disagree with any of that, I've come to find my own personal definition of repentance, and um, in my, the vocabulary that I would use to explain it is that it, it's submitting to re-education, to submitting to God's ways for your life. And I've been sitting in Hebrews a lot lately, so I'm kind of getting some of the stuff from that, but... Um, you know, how do we figure out what God's ways are? Well, in scripture, you dive into scripture and, and especially in the life of Jesus, who is this forerunner, this model for us of what God originally intended for us as fully flourishing, thriving human beings. Um, and so for me, like, that whole idea of repentance and, and um, you know, and baptism is a private and then public declaration that I want to walk in God's ways. I want to start to grow. And we always say it's the start of a journey, right? It's not that you have to have all your stuff together and you have to be perfect before you can get baptized. It's that it's the start of a process where you're saying, I want to walk in God's ways. I want to continue to learn, grow, and mature. Um, I want to choose to walk towards God's ways. It, and it's a continual choice. And I want this community to surround me in that process. That, to me, is what, what those things mean. So... I think, I think that leads us into sin uh, because we had a lot of sin questions. A lot of people asked us, well, what is sin and what is the consequences of sin? Um, and so we'll try to hit, hit those questions. I did a message on sin a couple weeks ago. Was anybody here for that? 
a few people. I want to encourage you to just to take a listen again. Um, it's a big one. Listen I, to it online. Yeah, but I also know that there's, um, you know, there's a lot of people who need to hear it a few times or maybe feel like their questions weren't answered in that. So uh, I, think, I think, you know, first off, there, I think there was an old way of looking at sin. And sin was that which qualifies us for God's judgment. We broke a rule. We believed the wrong thing. And we were no longer Christians, Right. You hear some like prominent people say like, oh, that person believes this, they're no longer a Christian. And that qualifies you for God's judgment. And God's judgment then becomes, well, God's going to decide whether or not to send you to the fiery torment of hell, okay? I would say sin is very real, like I just said. And I would say sin is anything we do to disrupt the peace and restoration and renewal that God intends for God's people. So I make us do this every time. How many of us are going to walk out the door tomorrow and disrupt God's peace, the peace that God intends? Raise your hand. All of you. <laughs> Me too. So yeah, we're sinners. We do that. So what is God's judgment? Well, God's judgment is saying, hey, you're my beloved, but you need to repent. You need to know that you're so loved by me that I want you to partner with me. I want you to partner with me in bringing restoration and renewal. I want you to help restore this place. And you're not doing that by your sinning. So repent, change your mind about this, and partner with me. Be restored so that you can help bring peace to this place. That's the way that God's judgment now looks. You know what's really sad? And, and I'm sorry, I'm on a, now I'm on a soapbox. Because I'm super <laughs> sad about the fact that so many people are afraid. Like, they go to church because of consequence. Like, I'm afraid of what God's going to do to me if I do sin this way or if I do... Like, that's not good news. What an awful way to live, to just be constantly afraid that God has God's finger on the trigger, ready to do something wrong to us if we get it wrong. It just, it blows my mind. God's way bigger than that. So, sin is important, but, you know, God is not sitting there waiting to punish us. Let's say that. Yeah, uh, just to, uh, sorry I'm jumping in here, but um, Jonathan did mention Lisa Sharon Harper earlier, and she talks more about this um, on Thursday. So if you want to hear more about um, the consequence of sin and, and bringing peace on earth, she talks about that. And join a small group, because we're going to read through her book in the next like six weeks or so, and we're going to dive a lot more into this idea of the creation, the fall, sin, consequences, all that stuff. So really, join a small group. You're going to dive into this a lot more. So let's talk about consequences of sin then. So we're sitting here saying that God doesn't have God's finger on the trigger waiting to punish us. What are the consequences of sin if that's not something that uh, we necessarily think? You want that to me? Yeah, you, you want yeah, to do you it? Yeah, you go. Oh, go boy. Ahead. I don't you know. go first. I can do it if you want. So usually when I sit down and talk with a woman, <laughs> She's I just, just wanted to give just you a totally chance. That's all. <laughs> um, when I sit down and, and talk with a woman one-on-one in our community um, because they want to talk about a mistake they've made or something that's, you know, a burden that they're holding or whatever, oftentimes all I have to do is ask a few simple questions of, like, how do you feel, or how did that make you feel, or, and and quickly you get to the shame of it, or to the, um, to just how not good it, it feels, and how unaligned it is with your values, or whatever it is that's making you hold that burden and wanting to sit down and talk with your pastor about it, you know. Um, so often the consequences of our sin is just that we we don't feel good. We and when we make a choice that doesn't align with the wholeness and the shalom and the peace that God wants for us, for our lives, for other people's, the fruit of it, right? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit all the time. We talk about the fruit of our actions. Um, that's what we can look at to figure out what the consequences are and where the brokenness is. And so oftentimes what we, we ask each other is, 
did you make that decision out of for selfish reasons or for selfless reasons? Was God at the heart of that decision or not? You know, just this, well, I'll wait to talk about that in a minute, but I'll talk in a moment about our personal theologies and how the choices that we make um, reflect all of that and who we believe God is and how he loves us. I think there's some places in the Bible where it talks about God visiting, you know, wrath upon the children from the third and the fourth generation. I think that's kind of what we kind of get behind is this idea of what consequences actually go on. I think there are definitely things that happen in your life, uh, addictions and things that can actually affect family and generational kind of stuff. I think it's very real. I think you need to acknowledge that and that's what it is. I don't think that God is sitting here planning how long he's going to hold that grudge over your family, you know. So I, when I think about sin, there was an experience I had several years ago when I was in Sydney and I was sitting in peak hour traffic. Uh, we lived in a cul-de-sac suburb, one way in, one way out. That's my definition of hell. Um, <laughs> but I was sitting in traffic and I was just totally like late for work and so I'm just freaking out. And what I saw was this woman who was just steaming along the sidewalk and walked straight over the road and about 12 feet behind her was her child and her child was struggling, had all these things in his hand and he was trying to get his little scooter across the the road and what happened was he tripped over his scooter and everything just tumbled out into the road and he was actually holding a whole bunch of puzzle pieces, I don't know why he was doing that (laughs) but they just went everywhere all over in the middle of the road and then you see the woman who was out in front and she turned around and she just railed on her child And, and in that moment I was sitting there thinking like, that's not who God is like, God is not out in front of us, like, steaming on, like, what God's trying to get done in the universe. And when we mess up, he's, like, turning around and, and completely railing on us. God is the person who is going to come alongside us, help us pick up the pieces and move forward. He's going to, like, hold our skin to knee and be like, it's okay. Get up. Do it again. And that's who Jesus is. That's, you know, God showing us through Jesus, standing alongside us. Such a good story. He said it in the first service, and I didn't know he was going to, and I was like, I'm stealing that. <laughs> um, but talking about sin, let's move from sin to hell, because there's a lot of questions about hell. Uh, and somebody asked about Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 30, uh, which I think is a great way to, to start talking about hell. It's, it says this, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And so, yeah, this is... This is big. So, so Jesus is talking about uh, he's the Sermon on the Mount. So he's, he's literally teaching people a new way to live. And so everybody's following the law during that time, right? And when you're following the law, uh, what you're doing is you're doing eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So if, if you take somebody's eye, then they have to take your eye, right? It's just, and so what Jesus is talking about is not so much the law, but the spirit behind it. Are you basically living your life in such a way where all you care about are the nuances of the law? Or are you looking at what's actually behind the law? And so he's saying, you know, if you are even thinking about doing something, like if you are even thinking about disrupting the peace that God intends, cut off your hand and throw it away, for it's better for that to happen than for you to go into hell. Okay, so what's he saying? He's saying, stop messing around with the do's and the don'ts, the ins and the outs, the blacks and the whites. Look at the spirit behind what's going on. And cut off, if you're going to cut off your hand, cut it off and you're going to throw it into Gehenna. For it's better for you to throw your hand to Gehenna than for you to actually go into Gehenna itself. What was Gehenna? It was a real place. Hell was a real place. It was this place that was outside of Jerusalem. And it was a place where if you didn't have enough money for your family member to be buried, they'd throw you in this valley. It was called Gehenna, which translates to hell. Um, if you were a robber or a criminal and they need to execute you, they would throw you in Gehenna. They would throw you into hell. Jesus is literally saying it is better for you to throw a part of your body in to hell than your whole body in to hell, that place over there on the outskirts of Jerusalem. That's really what he's talking about. Now, my, my thought is that, that you know, there's a... a 
that's not really what the question is. The question is, is there really a hell? Um, and again, I don't know. But what I do know is that I think there's a period in the afterlife where if we continue to focus in on, on the selfishness of the things that God doesn't intend for this world, or we get so far away, or we get so far away from peace, I think of people who are like child traffickers, right? Who live in that world, they, they don't even know they're living in a hell. I think the time will come when there's a God and we'll see God's glory at whatever point that may be. And they'll be so far away from what that glory looks like and that peace looks like, they'll be sending themselves to hell. They'll be in hell. Like, I think that's going to happen. I think that's real. Um, Jesus here, though, is talking very literal. Like, go, you know, to the edge of Jerusalem stuff. But let's talk more about hell, huh? Shall we? Okay. All right. (laughs) Can't wait. Hell. I feel like, what are the other hell, like, what are the consequences? This is another thing, like, Somebody wrote, if there is no hell, what are the consequences? Oh my gosh, that we would have to live a life in Christianity where the only reason we do it is to avoid consequences. I'm so saddened by that. Like, and if that's you, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that the church has done that to you to where you think that's the case. But anyway, if there is no hell, what are the consequences? I just said that I think there is a hell, but um, yeah, talk about consequence. We talked about consequences already. talked about it, yeah. I'm yeah, like... <laughs> Forget. Jonathan's all excited because you're all here. <laughs> I didn't think anybody was going to come on a rainy day. Uh, I'm sitting here going, what am I going to say about hell? We didn't. All I'll say is this. I'll say is this. I'll, I'll, finish, I'll say this. And I said this yeah, before. I actually have a story. Go ahead. You do it. Hey, Go ahead. Come here. And what I wanted to say is just, um, I, I converted to Christianity when I was 12. And since then, and so my parents aren't Christian. And since then, um, my church would say, oh, you know, you need to preach the good news to your parents so that they don't go to hell when they die. And that's, that's a lot of pressure, you know? And as a teenager, that brought a lot of conflict with my family. And my, I went through my own personal hell because of that. When it came to a, the time where I was at my dad's bedside and he was passing away, I could actually find peace because I wasn't thinking about was he or was he not going to hell. What I was thinking about was that here is a man who was created in the image of God. Here is a man that God loved. And what, whatever happens is between him and God. And I don't know, and that's okay. I'm saying that a lot. There's no need to be afraid. It's fear, like not knowing, don't be afraid of that. It's okay to, to grapple with these things and question them. I think one of the great things about progressive Christianity is this um, embracing of the mystery and this ability to kind of sit in the unknown of questions. And for me, like, I didn't know that I was moving progress. Like I had this progressive theology till like, last year when we started meeting people who were helping us understand it. Uh, like Brian McLaren is one of them. Um, but years ago, I sat down with some friends and and was struggling because of the same kind of thing that Mira is just talking about. What about my Hindu friends? What about my atheist friends? All that stuff. And there was such freedom in the conversation that I had with them because they simply let me understand or kind of let go of the idea that I'm not God. None of us have ever died and come back again. And I'm I'm not God. I don't know the Jesus answer did. to that. Jesus died. You know. But I'm not going to meet Jesus till after I'm dead, I guess. So. So. But there was, and this might not be true for everyone. Like, you might not feel this way. You might need to have a different structure around heaven and hell in order to, to live out your theology. But for me, there was freedom in the fact that I could let go of sorting out who was going to go where because that's not the point and um, when you start to really dive into what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God looks like especially as Matthew writes about it um, in the Sermon on the Mount then you start to understand that the kingdom of God 
the inbreaking of the kingdom of God here on earth is the stuff that that's full of goodness. That's the stuff that that's totally worth focusing on. Um, and so I can let go. I can hold on to the hope for the future because of, of the story of Jesus and the resurrection and the redemption that I talked about earlier. But I, I can work in the here and now to bring that kingdom of God, that goodness into the world now. I actually didn't grow up with this doctrine of hell at all uh, in the church I grew up in. So I think it, it's something I haven't had to jump over. Uh, but I think that the scripture says, better a living dog than a dead lion. And I think what we need to understand is that this is the gift, like life is the gift. And if we're spending a whole life trying to get around our fear of what happens next or our hope of what happens next, then we're just, we're kind of giving the, the gift back to God. And there's a ton of stories about that where we kind of, you know, we get given a gift and then we just put it in the ground. And I think that's something how I've been thinking about it. It's like, let's just take that gift and receive it. Yeah, and to that I'll finish by saying I'm way more concerned about hell on earth. Like Aleppo, when you're watching like two nine-year-old brothers hug because their 10-year-old brother has died, that's hell. That is hell. Children being trafficked and, and exploited sexually is hell. Like, I'm way more concerned about that stuff than I am about where we're going at the end of all this. Like, um, I don't know. God continually talks about, you know, again, I make, heaven, I make the earth new. I'm making the earth like it is in heaven. Like, I'm way more excited about that um, and fixing that. Yeah. So, and much of, like, how you come to this understanding of what your theology is on what hell is is through scripture. So our next question is... Um, Actually, go ahead. Go ahead, talk. You, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Turn it again. Don't mind that's, that's my white male privilege. <laughs> I did that in first service, too. I, I'm apologize, I have to apologize for my white male privilege once again. Go ahead. It's go fine. Ahead. I'm used oh, to it by Lord. now. I'm anyway, going to hell for that one. Anyway, our next question about scripture is, do you study Greek uh, slash Hebrew translation and um, to compare and contrast the translations of the Bible and how do we interpret it and what the untranslated text is trying to say? So, yes, we absolutely do take a look at the different translations. And Jonathan, I will keep going with this. Put your mic down. I was going to say something. And, <laughs> <laughs> there's a fantastic website that you can go on, which... Um, <laughs> You're stealing all this from me. Because I actually don't know the, the website. No, it's called, great, everybody write this down, greattreasures.org. Uh, it's for anybody who doesn't know Hebrew or Greek, and it actually will help you translate it, um, translate the English text. So go ahead, keep going. No, it's fine, because you've already taken what I was going to say. Okay. No, I, it is really, truly helpful, because unlike these guys, I've been going on this journey on my own. I have never done gone to any theology school, and I'd like to, but... In the meantime, the internet is your friend. You know, it's a great resource, believe it or not. Talk about it when you write your messages. That it's very helpful. What are you <laughs> She's written one message. Uh, her point is this. So, so to all this, we've been saying this a lot. The Bible is not a constitution, right? We've been saying this all the time. The Bible is a library. It is a library made up of songs and poems and stories and letters. It's a library that was written at very different times by very different people, none of whom knew they were going to be writing the Bible. Okay, we have to remember that. It wasn't like, man, I, what am I going to write here? Because people in you know, 2016 are going to read it. What, you know, it wasn't that. And so we have to realize that this thing has been translated from the very beginning. Okay? It's not like somebody had it right and we've just translated it wrong the whole way. This has been people writing down their innermost thoughts, the way they interact with God, the way they feel God has interacted with them. And so every doctrine, every dogma that we have when it concerns the Bible has come from a subjective person going, this is what I think God might be telling me. 
Okay, don't be afraid of that when we read the scriptures. Don't be afraid to say, I think this is what God might be telling me. God's not gonna punish you for being wrong in that. So yes, we look at all the translations, but we hold them loosely knowing that the spirit is working through all of it. So I'll yeah, say that. And I will say that when you do look back, you might find in a different translation, there might be a word that'll jump out, to, uh, out at you and will give you new revelation of that content. So that takes us into the next question, which is, what is the basis of belief that Genesis was a poem? So I actually did a message in our misused scripture series um, on Genesis, on this very creation story and all that. So I want to encourage you guys to go back. And we're actually going to put up a blog post tomorrow with all these references to things, uh, sermons that we've done or podcasts that we've done that we want you to go back and listen to. So if there's something that we touched upon this morning, um, you can dive deeper into it by going back and studying it when you say that post tomorrow. So I'm just going to leave it at that, but just to back up what Jonathan just said, that the, said that the Bible is a piece of literature. Um, it's communicating values and theology and scripture, not history and science and facts. And so, um, especially as an ancient piece of literature, when it does even convey history, it, it's not, it's doing it as it's passed on through oral history. It's not history in the same way that we think of it, where, you know, the Battle of Gettysburg happened on this day with this people, da 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 um, it's communicating values and beliefs. It's a very different cultural understanding, cultural context. You hear us talk about cultural context a lot, right? We're going to dive even more into this because next week we start a whole new series called Six Words, and it's six Hebrew words. So we're going to talk more about um, these words from the Old Testament that shape our faith. Next week we're going to start up with the word Israel. So come back for that. Join us for that series, especially if you're interested in kind of better understanding how all this Greek and Hebrew stuff plays in and how affects how we read Jesus. it. Yeah. And how what? towards Jesus. Yeah. yeah, and how it all connects back to Jesus. Yep. So moving forward then with, with the next question, because it, it's a continuation of that, and Ben, we'll toss this over to you. The question was, if we're not supposed to take scripture literally and instead symbolically like a song or poem, does that mean the Bible and religion are just like art? It's a great question. Thank you for that question. Uh, the definition of art is the expression or application of creative skill and imagination typically uh, in a visual form, producing works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty or emotional power. Uh, so for me, when I look at the scripture, the first five words of the Bible is, in the beginning God created. So the first thing we find about God is that God is fundamentally creative, and so therefore we're looking at you know, a piece of literature. Uh, one of my favorite um, poems back in high school was John Keats' Ode to a Grecian Urn, which finishes, beauty is truth and truth is beauty, that is all you need to know. Um, one of my other favorite quotes is talk, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. And I think when we look at what we do here uh, in church and we talk about theology, I think a lot of time when we're trying to do that, we're like playing chess with a chihuahua. Like what, what we're trying to do is like uncover the deep mysteries of the universe and put it into some sort of word form. How do you do that? Is there a formula that we're going to crack one day as humans and discover God? I don't think so. I don't think that's possible. Uh, but if the whole energy that's combining the whole universe together, I think it's impossible for us to understand that. So our words, the literature that's in the Bible is just our best attempt through songs and poems uh, and pictures to try and wrap our head around the divine. And this is where I said I wanted to come back to this idea of our personal theologies. Um, Mira and I went to a workshop at this conference we were at this past week where Jackie Lewis, who's this incredible preacher here in New York City, she led us in a session on Alice Walker, who wrote The Color Purple, and her personal theology and how it comes through on the page. Um, and so we read some of it and we talked a little bit about that, like what are you learning about God through reading this piece of fiction, right? Um, and she pointed out to us that every choice 
we make, everything we do and the way that we live our life, from the coffee we drink to the way we say hello to our friends, all reflects our personal theology about who God is in our world and, and at what we believe about our relationship with God. It's all playing out in who we are. So every artist, every musician, every painter, every whatever, every piece of art you see is someone working out their personal theology. And so yeah, yeah, art is incredibly important and can teach you a lot about God. So. And the, the last couple things I'll say is there is great truth in scripture. Scripture is God-inspired. It's just the way we're reading it. So I think I said this before, Nazilmatic. Anybody know Nazilmatic? One of the best albums that ever existed. Like, I'm not going to listen to Nazilmatic and be like, huh, what's the, the exact distance between Queensbridge and Bed-Stuy? Like, I'm not going to do that because uh, there's no truth to that. But is there truth in the way people are living in Queensbridge and Bed-Stuy in the 1990s by listening to Nazilmatic? Yeah, there's tons of truth, right? And so I believe the Bible's inspired. I believe the Bible's true. I believe the Bible... Um, uh, you find truth in the nonfiction parts of it, and you find truth in the fictional, the fictional accounts of it. Um, and you know, if we're just going to be very specific, Jesus, in my mind, I believe that Jesus is a nonfictional account. Okay, just so we're clear. All right. Um, but yeah, but it's taking it, it's taking it uh, in such a way where it's not a constitution, it's not a textbook, it's beautiful, it's a library. Let's treat it as such. Um, and on that point, we're going to move on to progressive. Progressive, progressive Christianity, somebody yeah. asked, because we're a progressive church. Are we hey, Robbie, what time is it? Uh-oh. Oh. All right. All right, for a progressive church, is, uh, is, does that mean you're something else besides Christian? No, we're fully unapologetically Christian. That's it. Um, what I'm hearing... <laughs> yeah. That's really what we wrote down. We're not abbreviating yeah. it because it's two minutes. <laughs> yeah, there's a, couple, there's a couple other questions that are like that. Is God male, female, neither, both? Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, maybe you can sing a song for us about that next week <laughs> to help with that one. Um, what are some other easy, easy answers? There's no easy. Here, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to skip ahead. We did this first service, and it's so important. I want to do it second service, too. We had more questions than I realized about mental health. Mental health was huge. How do I do with my anxiety? What do I do with my depression? What do I do with the fact that, that I don't feel, quote, unquote, normal? How do I deal with that? There was somebody who even, I think, misunderstood. I, I hope they misunderstood that. Um, saying, you know, how could you call um, depression or mental health a sin? Let me stop here right now and tell you that mental health, that, 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 that you know, anxiety, depression, bipolar, anything that we might have, that is not a sin. That is not something we get from disobeying God. That, that, that's like, you know, it, it's a physical illness. It's, it's having chemicals in our brain that aren't doing the right things. I speak from, I, I, I deal with anxiety. I'm under a doctor's care for anxiety. You guys don't know that about me, but whenever I get up here, I'm scared to death, right? So that's always happening to me. That's not a sinful thing. And for anybody to tell you that, they're lying to you. It's an absolute lie. I want to affirm people that this is a church that welcomes those who are struggling with, with issues regarding mental health. Like, we are a church that is opening our arms for, the, for, for us who are struggling with mental health. The thing that I find beautiful is when we look at Scripture, we look at everybody who God heals. God is healing the people that, you know, at the time, you know, demons. Well, that's a lot of mental health stuff. People with seizures, lots of mental health stuff. That's the people that God is healing and taking compassion on. And where the sin is in those stories is in the community and the way that the communities treat them around them. Um, so we, as a community, we talk about being a just and generous congregation, right? We care about these things. We care about creating a more just 
community, not in, just inside these four walls, but in our city. And so we're going to work for justice so that people who are suffering, who are on the edges of society, are not going to get treated that way. They're going to get treated the way that Jesus is calling us to as, as his followers. And then Ben, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so Jen heard a lot of these questions, and I think she really kind of lent in uh, when we were planning Midrash Season 2. And so we've already done one episode uh, on suicide. Uh, we had the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention talk to us. It's a ridiculously amazing episode. You need to listen to it. Such a great organization. Yeah. And we have several other organizations we're going to speak to over this. So if that's something that you think we don't talk about, sure, maybe not Sunday morning. We don't always like, give it everything we you know, can think, but the Midrash is there. We're having those conversations off the side as well. And um, just also, if you're more of a face-to-face person, um, I think you mentioned it last week, but uh, on Wednesdays, we're going to have Theology Happy Hour. So these questions, any, any other questions that you might have, come to our WeWork office. There's free teas, coffee, and alcohol. <laughs> so you don't have to pay for anything. Just come and for good conversation about any questions that you might have. I'll... I'll just, I guess I'll wrap up. Wait, we want to, no, okay. Ben has something he wants to wrap up with. You, I was going to wrap up with the hope, the hope you piece. Were? Okay. The fear and the hope. We want yeah. to talk about fear. I think the biggest thing that we've taken away from everyone's questions, um, and somebody said, how is this hopeful and not cynical? I've never felt more hope as a Christian in my life as I do right now. I think I spent much of my life afraid that I was making God angry, afraid that I, was, I had to get my beliefs right, otherwise there'd be a huge issue. And when I think about Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection, this is a Jesus, or this is a God who says, how much can I show you I love you, that you're my beloved? I'm gonna send my son to die for you to experience all of humanity, as Ben said earlier, so that you know that I partner with you in bringing heaven here on earth. That is great news. That's really, really good news. That's news that, that God it's a hesed, and it says this Hebrew word that says, God binds God's self to us in love. God cannot escape that. And that's the Romans 8. No, we, no matter how far, how wide, how deep, we can't escape the love of God. That is the bottom line. And that is what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. And that's what I want us to leave here with today. Amen? Why don't we pray, Ben? You want to pray for us? Nope, Ben can't pray because he's got to play. Right, Mira's pr- going to pray for no, us. No, Mira's got to go help downstairs. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> You're I'm going to pray You're for praying. us. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, God, thank you for this community. Thank you for people who are willing to engage in hard questions and wrestle with um, with each other as we try to live out what it is that you're calling us to, God. Um, I pray that this week as we go out into our into our individual lives that you would just continue to work through us. Raise us up to be the leaders that you're calling us to be, to be the just and generous community of people that you're calling us to be, Lord. Help us to start to discover what it looks like for us to have a, a personal theology and to feel your presence, God, and to choose to walk in your ways each and every day with each choice, God, that we make. Um, keep the fear at bay, Lord, and help us to to sit in the hope of what you've done for us through your son. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.